The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Tuesday, the 20th of June in London. Coming up today... 6% rates would tip the UK into recession. That's the assessment of Bloomberg economists. We have the details. Done and dusted. An ECB policymaker says rate hikes could end this year. The UK's half a trillion pound problem. Research suggests the country is suffering from a £560 billion investment gap. Johnson's fate. And here's what you could have won. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. I'm James Wilcock. Plus, stabilising ties. The US and China agree to keep talking after Blinken's trip to Beijing. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning from London. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Anna Edwards. You're listening to Daybreak Europe. Let's get to our top stories. Bloomberg Economics says that if UK interest rates hit 6%, it will slice 2% of GDP. Ewan Potts reports. Hotter than expected inflation and wage growth have been fueling bets the Bank of England will need to keep raising UK interest rates. Bloomberg Economics says that if the BOE follows market pricing for rate hikes, bringing them close to 6%, it would lead to a deeper economic contraction this year and next. The combined effect would be a full 2% drop in GDP over the period. But our economics say they don't see the Bank of England following that path. They're expecting rates to peak at 5% in August and stay there until next spring. We'll get more clarity on the BOE's thinking at midday on Thursday. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The European Central Bank's Yana Stranara says that tightening may end this year and called for a gradual and measured steps. Speaking at an event in Athens, he warned that the ECB should curb inflation while ensuring financial stability, but avoid driving the economy into a recession. Meanwhile, the central bank's vice president, Luis de Guindos, says inflation is sure to moderate, but the pullback in core price pressures may not be so pronounced. The ECB still sees inflation above its 2% goal in 2025. New research suggests that years of underinvestment have left the UK with a £560 billion funding gap. Analysis by the IPPR says the UK is now at the bottom of the G7 league table for business investment. Their Associate Director for Economy, George Dibb, says Britain is increasingly falling behind its peers. The data is really pretty stark. We're very low on uh, business investment, very low um, compared to our other G7 economies, but we're also quite low on public investment. And in fact, if you look at gross investment across the economy as a whole by everyone, we're much lower than other G7 economies. In fact, the last time we were even average was in 1990. So this is a multi-decade story. The research from George Dibb and his colleagues comes on the same day the UK slid six places on the IMD Global Economic Competitiveness Index. 
UBS is reportedly facing hundreds of millions of dollars in penalties over Credit Suisse's mishandling of Archegos. The FT says Swiss, US and UK regulators have all now completed their investigation into the affair. The paper adds that the Fed's fine could be as much as $300 million, while the UK's Prudential Regulation Authority could impose a penalty of £100 million. Switzerland's FINMA regulator doesn't have the authority to impose fines. UBS has inherited a long list of unresolved cases following the completion of its emergency takeover of Credit Suisse. US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken says his trip to China has achieved its goal with the two sides restoring some senior level communication. Tensions have flared in recent months between the countries over everything from trade barriers and Taiwan to an alleged Chinese spy balloon. On Monday, Blinken met with Chinese President Xi Jinping, who said he welcomed the steadying of bilateral ties. State-to-state interactions should always be based on mutual respect and sincerity. I hope that through this visit, Mr. Secretary, you will make more positive contributions to stabilizing China-U.S. relations. Xi Jinping speaking there through a translator. The Chinese president's meeting with America's top diplomat is also seen as a way of laying the groundwork for in-person Xi-Biden talks later this year. Alibaba is replacing Daniel Zhang as chairman of the group. Bloomberg's Brian Curtis has more from Hong Kong. Executive Vice Chair Joseph Tsai becomes chairman of the board. Tsai owns the Brooklyn Nets and is a confidant of Alibaba co-founder Jack Ma. Eddie Wu, now chairman of the Taobao and Tmall divisions, takes over as CEO. The outgoing Zhang ran Alibaba as it bled market share. His shock departure comes after Baba announced a six-way restructuring. The reorg is an effort to gin up growth by creating standalone firms that are more nimble. Some analysts we spoke to said the changes show that Jack Ma is still the spiritual leader of Alibaba. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. So those are some of our top stories on the programme this morning. So Anna, the story of course was around yesterday in the UK, high mortgage rates hitting the highest level since the mini budget era, close to 14 year highs. A different side of the property story being reported by our colleagues this morning when it comes to trying to lure investors to one of the luxury towers in the Nine Elms development uh, in London. So this is a tower that's owned by Damak Properties, a Dubai based company. They, to try and attract some of the buyers to it, they got Versace in to do oh. up the interiors. Apparently not enough because high-end investors don't want to live in Nine Elms. <laughs> <laughs> That's very interesting, isn't it? So it's not only Versace that matters, it's also location, location, location. Well, exactly. This is the the estate agent, uh, Peter Weatherall, quoted in this story, saying the tower in Versace would be ideal for Knight, Knightsbridge or Mayfair, but perhaps Vauxhall was just a step too far. <laughs> and on behalf of South Londoners everywhere, Vauxhall's very nice. Yeah, we apologise to everybody who, who, who loves Vauxhall. I'm <laughs> but, sure there are several. Yeah. <laughs> Anna. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's an interesting story about how the luxury property market is also being squeezed uh, at a time that we're looking at, of course, much bigger consequences across the rest of the property market from higher interest rates as well. Let's get to uh, an interesting conversation about the UK, not about the property market uh, per se, but about some of the other really fascinating dynamics that are happening within the UK story this week. A string of hotter than forecast wage and CPI readings has brought about a dramatic repricing in UK interest rate expectations. Joining us now is Bloomberg's UK correspondent, Liz 
Lizzie Burden, who has details. Good morning, Lizzie. So Bloomberg Economics has been looking into what 6% UK interest rates would mean for the UK economy. And this is all because the market is increasingly looking at 125 we were talking about yesterday or 150 basis point hikes. That, in normal language, is a 1.5% increase from where we are right now, which would take us to an interest rate of 6%. And they say that that would take us uh, into recession. Give us some detail then. Yeah, I'll just preface this with my outrage at your anti-South London sentiment. <laughs> it but was very specific. You're surrounded, Anna. It was, it was, it was not, not generally about South London. You're outnumbered. It was specifically about the Vauxhall Station. <laughs> but this is fascinating research on the terminal using the shock function, S-H-O-K, uh, and it allows you to plug in a shock and get the economic impact. So our economist, our senior UK economist, Dan Hansen uh, at Bloomberg Economics, has plugged in what would happen if rates go to 6% as some traders expect, and he sees a 2% fall in GDP. Of course, there is this lag in monetary transmission. You've got to wait for people to remortgage their fixed-term mortgage, of whom there are many. Uh, but if inflation is still raging more than expected in the readings to come, it's going to be hard for policymakers to sit on their hands and stop hiking, even though 6% is higher than most economists anticipate for the peak rate. And in fact, Dan Hansen and other economists reckon that the rates are going to the hikes are going to stop in August at five percent. Now we've got this Bank of England decision coming on Thursday. We've got inflation data coming tomorrow. The question really is whether this new data pushes some of the hawks on the committee into voting for a half point hike and whether they can tilt the balance. Is there any likelihood of that at this stage? I mean, judging by the expectations that we have for this week's meeting. We've had month after month of upside inflation surprise. So let's see not just what happens to the headline rate, but also the core rate. That's what's really worrying the Monetary Policy Committee. But I I think you mentioned about the report about food price inflation from the Lloyd's research optimistic signs there. Uh, It would be happy news not just for the Bank of England but also for the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak if there were signs of inflation easing because of course his target is to halve inflation by year end and the uh, Work and Pension Secretary Mel Stride has been on the airwaves just this morning, saying that uh, they are still hopeful, the government, that the government that it can hit its target using what he calls sound fiscal policy alongside the efforts of the Bank of England. OK, so we'll watch that uh, interesting balance and, uh, and dance between the fiscal and the monetary. Uh, meanwhile, the IPPR has a report out. Uh, it, it, it's saying that the UK is suffering from investment phobia. Lizzie, what does that mean? <laughs> um, it's talking about years of underinvestment, holding back growth, especially the green industries. And it really comes back to what Bank of England policymaker Catherine Mann was talking about in an essay for the Resolution Foundation think tank, which is that Britain is too focused on fighting fires, lurching from crisis to crisis, whether it's Brexit, the pandemic or the war in Ukraine, rather than uh, long-term planning. And At the same time as this IPPR research, you've also got the annual world competitiveness ranking from the International Institute for Management Development dropping the UK six places from 29th, uh, two to 29th out of 64 countries. And that's partly down to what it calls 
government incompetence as well as increased bureaucracy. As you know, we were meant to have this bonfire of red tape post-Brexit, but actually it seems like that's gone on the bonfire itself and they observe even more bureaucracy, which confirms what we've heard anecdotally from business leaders week after week, including in that fantastic piece of reporting by our very own Caroline Hepke on this idea of Britain being adrift. So when you combine the impact of tight monetary policy with years of underinvestment, it really is worrying for Rishi Sunak when one of his top priorities is to grow the economy. Okay, Lizzie Burden, our UK correspondent, thank you very much for that. Up next, Johnson's fate, and here's what you could have won. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Bloomberg's James Walcock joins us now with a look at what is in the papers. James, good morning. It feels like a cliche to say it was another momentous day in UK politics. I don't know, on the scale of momentous, you know, there's, we, we, there's a continuum, isn't there? We seem to find ourselves at the top end of it often. What are the newspapers saying then about the vote on Boris Johnson? I think I could just hear, as you sort of saw the words Boris Johnson, all the wind leave your sails, Anna. I mean, <laughs> No, it's just there's, there's been a long tail to his, uh, his prime ministership. I, this is true. I mean, and after a year, last year, where three, Prime Ministers and what were you know, in office in one year, it is fair to say, like, well, surely this is all done now. But what is fascinating is as Cabinet meet this morning to sort of discuss the big sort of mortgage issues, everything Lizzie was talking about in the economics, Parliament last night voted to censure a former Prime Minister, and if he were still an MP, it would have suspended him for 90 days and a massive, colossal amount of time. And they did so with a majority of 354 MPs to just seven. Uh, and that is, and then six Conservatives in that seven versus 118 who voted for. So it is a real marker of kind of the, a, a milestone of where Boris Johnson's career has gone. In like 12 months ago, he was the Prime Minister and now he struggles to muster the support in Parliament at all. He obviously marshalled his own supporters not to go because it would be a sight of how many did support and how many didn't. And I mean, the FT leads today on Theresa May's comments, the former Prime Minister, um, where she took a thinly veiled swipe at Rishi Sunak, but he himself not showing up. One of the few ministers to speak at the debate was Penny Mordaunt. Um, many ministers didn't show, although it's worth noting six cabinet ministers did vote to back the report. Um, I mean, I note that Politico pointed out to Republica, an Italian newspaper, their UK correspondent uh, used a quote to say, sort of, if you sit by the river long enough that you'll see your enemy's bodies piled by, to refer to Theresa May. Um, in short, it seems to be sort of a day of drama that shows off quite how far we have come from the days of chaos that you sort of lamented last year, Anna, in terms of it does seem to be, at least for the moment, over in terms of Boris Johnson's parliamentary career. And that is everything from the FT to the Telegraph to the Times. Their opinion writers openly said that Boris Johnson made us look like fools. 
Yeah, very interesting. As you say, the the closure of that chapter of Boris Johnson's political career. Boris Johnson, not the only recent former Prime Minister in the news. I mean, you could take your pick, to be fair, but both The Guardian and The Telegraph are writing about Liz Truss. Well, so it's an interesting argument from Liz Truss. She was speaking at the News Exchange Conference in Dublin, and she argued that politics is a branch of the entertainment industry and says that, um, in reality, for everything from public sector leaders to big corporations to the media have shifted to a more left wing view on economics, and especially in the media's case, are more concerned with the froth than the substance. Um, they, I mean, it's amazing that I can come on air and use the quote, uh, comparing me to a lettuce was not particularly funny. Um, but that, it, she argues, was it was more about the woman than about the substance of the woman's arguments. Um, it's a difficult one because obviously us here on Bloomberg Radio, I'm sure this trust is open to come on any time if she wishes to and discuss the economics of her arguments. We at the time were massively concerned with the gilts, with the mortgage market and with the economic fallout around her budget. But um, she argues that especially as a woman in charge, the comparison to the Iron Lady, the comparison to the branding meant that the sort of real substance of her message was lost. Um, it is interesting that so far she's only spoken to in UK broadcasters and um, the only one she has talked to is GB News. Um, so I, we look forward to see her give interviews around the space where I'm sure many will ask her about mm. the economic substance of her arguments. Yeah. Uh, uh, moving on, the Wall Street Journal crunching the numbers on pay in the S&P 500. So, if you could pick where to work, um, it is interesting to know the median salary of some of the biggest US um, c- companies in the S&P 500. Um, and what is fascinating is, despite a year marked by tech layoffs and higher inflation, number two and number three in that list are still Meta and Google, with a median salary of almost $3,000 for Meta and 280000 for Alphabet. Now, if you wanted to know the worst places, it is automakers, it is retailers like Walmart, who have lows in sort of say, the $27,000 sort of mark for tw- in terms of dollars. Um, but broadly, Broadly, despite sort of obviously the very good news we've been following about US inflation coming down, uh, about 100 of the companies said their median workers' pay rose 10% or more, um, which is roughly the same number said that in 2021. And 278 companies in the S&P index say their median workers' pay is higher in 2022 than the year before. So the pay is still going up, um, which will have a knock-on effect going on long term. The other big trend seems to be, especially in the tech companies, although the median pay is rising, headcount is shrinking and often those laid off are then being absorbed into SMEs. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.